0: Brothers and sisters, one of the best-known poems of the poet Robert Frost is also one of his shortest poems, mercifully short. Um, It's the the poem entitled Fire and Ice. Not seeing any recognition on uh, too many faces, but uh, the poem Fire and Ice goes like this. Uh, Some say the world will end in fire. Some say in ice. From what I've tasted of desire, I hold with those who favor fire. But if it had to perish twice, I think I know enough of hate to say that for destruction, ice is also great and would suffice. It's a clever poem and uh, pleasantly one that you can actually understand what the poet is trying to say. But even better, it's a poem that serves us well for the sake of introducing this sermon. The, the poem, Fire and Ice, highlights the fact that mankind has always had some anticipation of the end of the world. Over the past several weeks, we've made uh, the point that man has within himself uh, the idea, the concept of eternity. As Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes 3.11, God has put eternity into man's heart, and yet mankind seems equally sure that while there is something somewhere, uh, something called eternity, it can't be found. Uh, it, it won't be found in the world as we know it. Instead, as the rock group REM Uh, Saying in the late 1980s, it's the world, it's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. But the question that uh, Robert Frost uh, asked uh, is fire or ice. Again, the question contemplated by mankind is not whether the earth will end, but how. How will the world end? And, and Frost demonstrates another curious trait of mankind by making light of the, of the question, by connecting fire with desire, uh, a connection not lost on most people, uh, with the added bonus that the two words rhyme. Um, but he returns to a more serious note by adding that uh, whether fire or ice... Uh, with ice being connected with hatred, uh, both are destructive enough to serve the purpose of bringing an end to the world. Well, which will it be, fire or ice? Um, For Christians, for those who believe the Bible to be the inspired uh, and inerrant word of God, the answer is clear. Uh, The Apostle Peter writes in 2 Peter 3, verse 7, uh, by the same word, the heavens and uh, earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Again, in verse 10, Peter writes, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth And the works that are done on it will be exposed. Then for a third time in in verse 12, Peter writes, The day of of God in which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. If not for the fact that uh, Peter says it three times over, uh, we might be tempted to read it over and let it go but given the emphasis by way of repetition we can hardly answer the question any differently the world will end in fire and so this first point the coming fire again there there can be little doubt as to what peter is saying in this passage three times over he speaks quite clearly, of the coming fire. A fire so intense that creation itself will be burned, will be melted, will be dissolved, and it would seem thus destroyed, using Peter's own words. The difficulty that we have with this passage is that there are four speakers or writers of Scripture who speak about the end of the world, and and of the four, only one, only Peter mentions the destruction of creation by fire. When Jesus teaches about the last day in, in Matthew 25, he he gave us these memorable words. He said, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates Uh, the sheep from the goats, and he will place the sheep on his right and uh, the goats on the left. And when Jesus mentions fire in, in that context, he says, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So from the mouth of Jesus, we hear a fire, just not, uh, not fully of, 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 of the destruction of the entire world by fire. When the Apostle Paul teaches about uh, the last day in, in various chapters, uh, it would seem that his greatest emphasis is, uh, is on the resurrection uh, for example, in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16, he writes, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are le- who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. So Paul's emphasis is more on the resurrection of believers and their place with Christ. Uh, there is one place in Second uh, Thessalonians 1 verse 9 where Paul writes of Christ's coming in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. But unlike Peter, Paul's reference to fire is, uh, is not in connection with the punishment of the wicked, and it would not seem in that reference to be the destruction of creation. Well, like all doctrines, uh, we need to hear all that Scripture says on the matter. We need to be careful not to pit one writer against another uh, or one passage against the other. Uh, And one thing that we do see is that the biblical writers are quite consistent in teaching, using the words of of Jesus in Matthew 24, verse 35, that heaven and earth will pass away. It's Peter who seems to be explicit about how the present creation will end. But all the biblical writers are clear that heaven and earth will pass away. Paul writes in in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 29 and following, The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods." and those who deal uh, with the world uh, as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form, those are important words, the present form of this world is passing away. And the Apostle John writes in 1 John two seventeen, and the world is passing away Along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. It, it, it cannot be denied, and in, indeed it, it shouldn't be denied, it shouldn't be missed that, that when God created the earth and everything in it, He declared that it was very good. So the point here is is not to fall into the the Gnostic error that that a physical world is inherently evil and must be destroyed solely on that basis because it's physical. So the point is not that we should refuse to have much, if anything, to do with this world given that it will be burned up anyhow. And yet the clear teaching of Scripture is that it will be burned up. On one hand, Paul in in Romans 8 speaks of the redemption of creation. Uh, In a similar vein, uh, Isaiah the prophet gives us that memorable picture of the lion laying down with the lamb. Uh, Not the lion and the lamb burning together, but the lion laying down with the lamb. Isaiah eleven, starting at verse six, says, The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like an, like the ox. The the nursing child shall play over the whole of the cobra, and the wean child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So, on one hand, we see what, what seems to be a redeemed creation in the end. On the other hand, the earth and the heavens will burn. The best approach, therefore, is, is to go back to our text in 2 Peter 3 and, and to see what is abundantly clear here. Uh, Peter is clear that the coming fire will be for judgment. Uh, this is not just some prediction of the end of the world, but the foretelling of God's judgment upon the world. Again, in verse 7, the heavens and earth That now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment. It won't just be a day of fire, but the day of God's judgment. Therefore, next, what is also clear is that the coming fire will come for the destruction, most in particular, of the wicked. It will be the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly, writes Peter. Again, Peter is not teaching the Gnostic heresy in this passage. He is not saying that God hates the physical world. Indeed, God declared it all very good in the beginning. So the thing to be punished and, and the thing to be removed from his good creation is sin. The wickedness of unbelieving mankind we also see in verse 10 where Peter writes that the heavens will pass away with a roar. Uh, so there's Paul's language and, and, jo- and John's language that, that we are living in a world that is passing away. The heavens will pass away with a roar. It's just that Peter gives us, again, far more details on how it will pass away. It will pass away with a roar. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And then to our point here, Peter writes this, and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. Again, the point is, is not just fire and destruction. Uh, this is not like uh, uh, the children uh, on the beach. Uh, at the end of the day, they decide to knock down their own sandcastle. Uh, the point is Judgment. The point is to expose by fire the wickedness of man, though to that point it was kept secret, yet to expose the wickedness of man on the face of the earth. So we come to this second point, uh, awaiting people. Already as as the second point, we come really to a point of application because Peter writes next, In verse 11, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in in lives of holiness and and godliness, waiting for and hastening the day, the coming of the day of God? Why is Peter teaching uh, these things? Because because it comes as a call to holiness, uh, as a spur to godliness. But a good overall name for those who are convinced of these things is that we are awaiting people. And what are we waiting for? We, we are waiting for the end of the world, for the destruction of all things. And what does that mean? It means that we, we are certainly called to live in this world, even to enjoy this world to make good use of all that God has made and declared to be very good. But even as we do so, we must be awaiting people. We must remember at at every step that we are living in a world that is passing away with every bite that we take to our great delight. We love food, right? Uh, Upon every sight, Springtime, the leaves are going to start coming back on the trees. The grass is going to start greening. Uh, With with every sight that we see uh, within the goodness of God's creation, yet we must remember that the point of it is not ultimately our pleasure, but God's purposes. We must remember that the stuff of this world will not last. As the old saying goes, you, you can't take it with you. But Peter's context here is the last day, not just our death, but uh, the day of our death, but the last day. And so we must also remember, uh, it will not last. It will not survive. This world will not survive the fire uh, in the end. The parallel teaching from Jesus is uh, surely Matthew 6, verse 19 which reads, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. What's interesting is, is that Jesus seems to focus on the, the temporary nature of things even within this world. It will not last. It will not survive even a few short years within the span of time. However, Peter's point is to show that even what does manage to last, we still have Roman ruins, do we not? We can still see something of the Aztec uh, uh, empire. Um, So there are some things that generally last for a very long time. Uh, on the on the face of the earth but but even so no matter how long anything might last uh, through the course of time in the end nothing nothing will survive the devil would have us uh, live for the moment here's the evil of evil here's the here's the temptation of sin live for the moment the the flesh would prompt us to Carpe diem, seize the day. I actually like that phrase. I think it can be employed in a in a quite godly way. Um, make the most of your life, living it for Christ. Carpe diem, seize the day. But of course, uh, the flesh would prompt us to seize the day for the sake of sinful pleasure and just going after popularity and prestige in this world. The flesh would uh, would prompt us. Thus, but the the call of Christ is to not lay up for ourselves treasures on earth because where our treasure is, that's where our heart will be also. Jesus finishes his teaching in in Matthew 6 by saying, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other, you cannot, you cannot serve both God and money. One of the greatest lessons of wisdom, uh, wisdom to be learned, is is that nothing in this life will ultimately fulfill us. Have you have you figured this out? Uh, sin will always prompt us to think that, uh, well, maybe the next level of wealth will do it, or or the next set of clothing or the next car that, that we drive. Um, or that uh, surely something, something will fulfill us. Something must surely be found in this world to make us happy. But, but the message of Peter is really to say, big deal. Uh, if you could find something to fulfill you, Something in this life, in this world, to make you happy—it will not survive the coming fire. Instead, we must be awaiting people. Are you waiting? You have a faith that 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 puts you in that position to be waiting. We must be those who are always anticipating the return of Christ and the coming of the fire of God's judgment. And and we must understand not just that the stuff of this world will not survive, but that all that we do here, every deed will be exposed. In Luke 12, verse 2, Jesus said, Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you said in the dark shall be heard in the light and What you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. Well, finally, then, a new creation. Because the point is not just to let go of the things of this world, but to anticipate the coming of a new world. Back in 2 Peter 3, verse 13 now, Peter finishes the passage with these words, but according to his promise... We are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. You see, it's, it's not just a matter of foregoing the sinful pleasures of this world. It's not just a matter of not clinging even to the good pleasures of this world. It's also the matter of looking forward to all that is coming, to all that awaits us. We must be awaiting people because, because of the new creation that, is, that, that Christ has created for us. Do we understand that that's what Christ did? He, he, he brought about a new creation by His life and His ministry, His work. His work that He declared finished, even upon the cross. And so we must be awaiting people, not just by anticipating the coming fire, but by waiting for, even longing for, longing for the coming of this new creation. And, and so as, as we've already said, Jesus calls us not to lay up for ourselves treasures on earth. But, but the way to do that is by intentionally, deliberately, consciously laying up for ourselves treasures in heaven. And what is or what will be the connection between this creation and the new, the new heavens and new earth? Well, they both have the same creator. Uh, they both are the gift of God to his people. Uh, they both are to be enjoyed to his praise, glory, and honor. Um, but will the new creation be a replacement of this creation, or will the new creation be the redemption and the renewal of this creation? Perhaps we will understand it better when the day comes. Uh, Paul writes in Romans 8 that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And Peter writes, we might be tempted to say, but, Peter writes, but I think it's it's better to say, and, we're not... Putting, we're not pitting these two passages against each other, but Peter writes, The heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and and the heavenly bodies will be burned up. The problem is, is we're, we're just not there yet. Um, parents are known to tell their children on family trips, uh, we'll get there when we get there. Um, but on this trip, it's also the case that we won't even know where exactly there is, we won't know exactly where we're going until we actually get there. But the thing to see as well is is that in another sense, we're already there. This is the already and the not yet. Uh, In 2 Corinthians 5.17, the Apostle Paul writes, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Paul speaks in the present tense, uh, we are a new creation. It's not that we will be a new creation. Even now we are a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. And here is the importance of understanding that, that, uh, that John begins his gospel with the words, in the beginning, Just as Genesis 1 starts with the words in the beginning and tells the story of of creation, so the Gospel of John begins the same way and tells the story of how how Jesus created a new creation. The work of Christ has recreated us. Uh, The ministry of Christ was to accomplish a new creation. And believers in Christ are, even now, a new creation. It's why they are believers in Christ. Because they have been recreated under the sovereign grace of God. And believers in Christ are, even now, a new creation. Still living, can't deny that, right? Still living within God's first creation, But waiting, are you waiting? Waiting for the return of Christ to make all things new. He's already made us new. And in the end, he's going to make all things new. It requires some speculation, uh, but perhaps that's why the end of the world will come with fire. Fire. Perhaps the thing that the coming fire will accomplish is to burn off very quickly these bodies of death so that what's underneath will be revealed. Uh, Maybe it will be like uh, taking taking off a, a ratty old overcoat to find that underneath we are already wearing the very finest clothes of heaven. Maybe we are like wooden boxes holding precious diamonds. Instead of breaking open the boxes, all you have to do is throw the box into the fire. Then you wait for the fire to burn out, and then you dig through the ashes and you find the diamonds. Fire destroys, but it only destroys what can be destroyed. Make no mistake, your body can be destroyed and will be. And that's exactly God's plan, to destroy your body with fire so that you will be revealed as the new creation that you really are, even now, in Christ. There's so much that we don't know and and so much that we do. Uh, What we do know is that Christ has wrought a new creation. Uh, He didn't come to make salvation available, but to accomplish salvation in God's people. Upon his resurrection, a new creation dawned, and God's people, including you and me, were recreated. So now, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation To put it another way, as soon as a person believes in Christ, it is revealed that he or she has always belonged to Christ and is already part of this new creation. What we do know is that the day is coming, a a day of fire even, a day of judgment, a, a day of destruction for the wicked, but a day of revelation for those who on that day are waiting for their beloved Savior, Jesus Christ. And on that day, we will be the diamonds in the ashes. We will be those who enjoy new heavens and a new earth forever. Amen. Let's pray. Glorious things are promised us, O God so glorious that we cannot fully understand exactly how it will come and and what it will be. But we know that uh, it will come. And we know that we have salvation in Jesus Christ. and That even now we are part of the new creation that will find its uh, fullness and, and consummation in the last day. Grant that we would uh, not turn away from the truths of Your Word because, because we can't understand them fully. Grant instead that we would simply marvel at what is promised us, what is coming. And grant that we would be thankful that it's all coming by grace. And it's all coming as Your gift to us in Your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we ask and pray these things in His name. Amen.